Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. A few weeks ago, I, I was supposed to be doing something very important, I'm sure, like maybe writing a sermon. And so I decided instead to clean out some drawers in an old Chester drawer. I found something in there. I brought it today to show you. I had to explain to my children what it was. Uh, This is a cordless phone. It's my very first cordless phone that I bought when I graduated from college and moved to Atlanta. I had to explain to my children that you have to have a special wire and it plugs into a special hole in the wall and that's the only way it can work because they kept trying to make calls from it, and we looked all over. Our house doesn't even have a special plug-in for this type of phone, so we couldn't see if the phone still worked. But we did have the, the power cord, and see, I bought the fancy kind that had the answering machine already installed in it. So we plugged in the answering machine, and we hit play to see if any of the messages were still there. And as I listened to them one by one, I realized I had this audio scrapbook at my, at my phone. The first message said, Hi, Lindsay. My name is Scott Slocum. Our mutual friend Chris gave me your number. The second message was a message from the senior pastor at the Roswell Presbyterian Church calling to tell me he enjoyed meeting me, and if I could please call him back, he would love to talk about me potentially working at the Roswell Presbyterian Church. The third message was from Scott's mom, who died a few years ago. She had called to tell us how much she enjoyed her visit last weekend, how they loved going to look at that house that we were interested in. That house is the house we would later make an offer on, our very first home that we would own together, and the home where we would have our babies. The final message was my youth director from high school, She had simply called to tell me that she had prayed for me that morning and she was giving thanks as I prepared for my ordination. It was this beautiful audio recording of so many of the people that I have loved so dearly in my life, documenting all of these mountaintop days that I had experienced. The day I met the love of my life, my first real job that turned into my career, my first home, my ordination, It was all these really defining and delightful days were all recorded here on this answering machine, this scrapbook of messages. They were good days. You have had these kind of days. You have had good days that you wanted to record and go be able to go back and listen to the messages. You've had some not good days. On the other end of the spectrum, we know that there are really bad days. There are hard days, days when we receive phone calls and the news is so difficult they won't even leave it on an answering machine. The days that are hard and devastating. You've had those kind of days too. But most of the days, most of the days are just regular old days. They're good enough. Actually, they're fine, right? Isn't that the word that we use? How's it going? Fine. How are the kids? Fine. I actually don't think that my 12-year-old knows any other words except for fine. 
How was school? How was your Spanish test? How was football practice? Fine. Good. Good talk. Good talk. <laughs> so we settle into these days that are fine. And we classify them as fine. And I'm wondering, as we turn to our scripture this morning, I'm wondering if that's exactly what was driving the lawyer's question to Jesus in the passage this morning. I'm wondering if the lawyer decided he wanted more than just fine. See, when he asks Jesus the question about eternal life, he doesn't use the regular word, the regular Greek word for life. He doesn't use that word bios, where we get the word biology. He doesn't use that word. He's not looking for another day, another regular fine day to add on to his life. He uses the Greek word zoe. The Greek word zoe literally means the state of one who is possessed by vitality. It's bigger than regular, fine life. It's this place where joy of the mountaintop moment meets our very heartbeats. It's, it's when it comes together and we begin to get a glimpse of that abundant life that Jesus promised us. See, the lawyer wasn't looking for fine. He was looking for a life that would flourish and so that's why this month, in October, while we are talking about what it looks like to flourish, why we're going to spend so much time in this story over and over again. Because we, too, aren't interested in just fine. Jesus promised us abundant life. Jesus desires for us to have abundant ministry. And so we're not created to be fine. We don't want to settle for fine. We want to flourish, and we believe that that's what God intends both for us and for the life of Roswell Presbyterian Church. So the question is, how do we do that? Well, one of the ways that we do that is indeed by loving God with our minds, engaging our faith with our heads in a thoughtful way, cultivating an intellectually credible faith. And if you think about it, that's exactly what the lawyer and Jesus modeled for us in this passage this morning. You see, when the lawyer realized that there was something he's yearning for, that there's something he's looking for, he knows well enough to go straight to the source. So he goes to Jesus and he asks the question, how do I get a life that will flourish? What's so interesting to me that Luke does differently than the other Gospels with this story is that Jesus looks at him and asks the lawyer to reflect on what he knows and the lawyer reflects on Scripture. He goes back to Scripture. Matter of fact, he goes back to Scripture that would have been so very important to him. It's a, he goes back to what our Jewish brothers and sisters call the Shema. It's Scripture that comes from Deuteronomy and Numbers, and, and they repeat it as part of their morning and evening prayers. The lawyer knows that what he needs to reflect back on is the Word of God, and so he goes back to that, and he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But see, here's the thing. The lawyer knows that, right? He's read the Bible. He's been reading it his entire life, but, but there's just still something there for him. It, and he says, wait, I just, I just have one more question. I don't understand who is my neighbor. 
So the lawyer hands this question over to Jesus, and what happens next is so important for us, and I don't want us to to miss what happens next. Jesus doesn't laugh at the lawyer for asking a question. Jesus doesn't get angry because he questioned the Bible. Jesus doesn't tell him he should probably just go and pray about it, and then maybe he'll figure out the right answer somewhere. Instead, Jesus takes his question, and he holds it, and he honors it, and he speaks into the question, expanding the scripture that the the lawyer is certain that he has known his entire life, but Jesus invites him to explore it in a new and bigger way. He invited him into the question. And so as a response to that question, then Jesus begins to tell what we now consider the famous parable of the Samaritan who showed compassion. You've heard these details before. There's a traveler who's beaten and left for dead. There's two different people that come by at two times, the priest and then the Levite. They appear on the scene, but instead of slapping, they cross to the other side. And every time I read the story, when I get to that part, I ask, why? Why wouldn't they stop? The text doesn't tell us why. But somewhere, something in their brains told them not to stop. Were they afraid? Was there fear that the robbers were hiding somewhere and that they would be the next victims? Was it their culture? because the culture valued busyness, and they needed to run from place to place, and, and that excused them from participating in any of the items not on their agenda for the day. Or could it possibly have been their religion? Did they pass by because they were clergy, and for a clergy person to touch a bloody body would have rendered them ritually unclean? Could it be that their religion would have put ritual and rules above compassion. Maybe. The text doesn't tell us why they passed by. We do know that they were heading from Jerusalem to Jericho. They were leaving Jerusalem, so the purity laws shouldn't have been an issue. But whatever it was, Whatever it was, there was some voice in their head, a voice of fear or cultural norms or political allegiances or some sort of rule that told them not to stop or think about it or ask any questions, but to accept that voice that's in their head that told them to keep going. And then came the Samaritan. And what's funny is we don't have any doubts about the Samaritan. There's no question about what the Samaritan was thinking. We don't have to question the Samaritan's background and what voices would have been in his head. We know that there was a deep-seated hate between the Jews and the Samaritans. We know that the Samaritan's cultural norms and religious preferences would have told him, don't do it. Don't stop. Keep going. This man is near dead. He will render you unclean. Not to mention he's a Jew. He is worthless. Don't bother. Don't stop. But what's significant is that the Samaritan did stop. He did ask questions. Even when everything told him no, his culture, his religion, his political party, even when everything told him no, he stopped to ask a question and think, where is God in this? And what would the scriptures call me to do here? 
And then, because he was bold enough to stop and ask questions about how God might be at work in this place, he showed compassion and mercy. And that Samaritan made an impact on the kingdom of God. And that, that is where life flourishes. That's where ministry flourishes because the Samaritan wasn't afraid to ask a question. He wasn't afraid to challenge the norm. He wasn't afraid to truthfully engage with his faith in a way that honored the word of the Lord and made a difference in the world. It's important to me that you know that we are in a tradition where we believe it is not the preacher's job to tell you what to think. We believe it is the preacher's job to invite you into the Word of God, that you would experience the Word and think through what it looks like for the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to call you into action. Now, we don't think that means that you just go off on your own and decide all of the things. There are three things that we look at when we look at Scripture and how the Spirit is speaking through Scripture. First, we look at the context. How do the verses that we're reading speak in context of the entirety of Scripture? When we look at the story of the people of God, how do these Scripture verses fit in? The second thing we look at are the confessions and the creeds. The people of faith who have lived this, this faith out in so many ways, and so many times in history and situations. How did God speak to them? How did God mold them and shape them? And the third thing we do is we value community, that we gather together. We don't ask you to go sit in an ivory tower and make decisions about what the Word of God must say, but we gather together, and we read together, and we pray together, and we challenge one another, and we encourage one another, and we look at how the Spirit is moving in the Word of God. And that's why at the Roswell Presbyterian Church, there are so many Bible studies There are studies in the morning and studies in the middle of the day. There's studies at night. There's studies for people who are married. There's studies for people who have been divorced. There are studies for parents. There are studies for men, women, youth, children. There are studies for people who like to do art. There are Bible studies for everyone. And we gather together as a people of faith so that we can read the word to God together and we can ask the questions. And here's the thing. Sometimes in those Bible studies, we don't agree with one another. Sometimes we don't even like what the other people in the Bible study are saying. And sometimes we don't even like what the Scripture has to say. And that's why, that's why it is so important for us to constantly be coming together and studying the Word together because we know that coming together and wrestling with the Word of God gives us a better understanding of who God is and who we are. It grows us stronger in our faith, and it makes us, equips us to go out into the community so that we can make an impact on the world through the kingdom of God. So y'all, ministry and lives will flourish. I'm grateful to be part of a congregation that values the study of the Word of God. I am grateful to be in a place where we honor one another's questions. I am grateful that you will hold the questions for one another and with one another. I'm grateful that you don't want to settle for just fine. That you will read and study and work the Word of God over and over, constantly seeking, where is God in this? And how does this call me to live out my life? 
And I am grateful that in studying and asking questions, you hear God calling you to go out and to make an impact on the world and show grace, mercy, and compassion. So certainly on a day like today, and we come together and there is so much for us to celebrate, and I thought, you know, if we're going to be celebrating, welcoming someone into this family of faith, and at the same time we're talking about what does it look like for life to flourish, wouldn't this be a good time for us to think about what would we want to offer to major on a day like today? What would we want to offer to our children on a day like today? And in a time when we are remembering, when we are celebrating a baptism and we're remembering our own baptism, what reminders do we need to have for ourselves as we think about what it looks like for life to flourish? So I took a liberty. I hope you're okay with this. And on behalf of the entire congregation, we have written a letter to Major. These are the words that we would want him to hold as we think about what it looks like for life to flourish but also to remind ourselves. So here's what you wrote. Dear Major Kiro Smyers, you're a very lucky baby. You have a very incredible mom and dad. You have a family that loves you so much that they traveled all sorts of miles to come and witness the special mountaintop day of your baptism. You probably won't remember today, sweet Major, but we will. We will remember how your mom dressed you in the sweetest little outfit, and then your mom and dad and Reverend Weimer stood in front of the church, and we all declared in our loudest and proudest voices that we do promise to tell you all about how special it is to be claimed by the God of creation who loves you with grace and mercy and compassion. You might not remember today, dear child, but you will need today. You will need today because while some days like today are so awesome, some days will be painfully difficult, but most days will be regular old fine days. And you will be tempted to settle into those days and think that somehow the monotony and regularity of those days makes them definitive to who you are and what you are about. But don't buy into that, precious major. That is not what you are intended for. Jesus has promised you abundant life. God wants you to flourish. You are indeed meant for something more than what our culture will try to sell you. Adored and beloved Major, may you always know that you are held and honored by your Creator, even when you ask questions and struggle with your faith. May you know that God holds you so well that even when you feel like your faith is fragile, you cannot break your God. Lean into that. Claim it out loud, even on the days when you aren't sure you believe it. Allow the Word of God to be your strength and steady. So constantly look. Constantly look for God to be at work. Ask questions. Seek truth. Wrestle with the things that don't make sense to you. And in the end, show compassion. Always show compassion. How you are loved, dear child. And of course, may there never be a day when you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Love your family. Let's pray. Holy God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks because you are a God who writes these big, huge, amazing stories, Lord, that draw us into a life where we flourish, where you intend for us to flourish. So God, we pray that you would help us to be bold and humble and faithful in wrestling with your word. 
God, that we would seek to find you in there always. And as we, we go from this place, God, and we're walking around and we're doing our everyday life stuff, God, help us to see you even there. Then, Lord, that we would respond to this word that you have given us, that we would be kind and gracious and merciful and compassionate. God, we give you thanks. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.